before. All right, welcome this week to Truth and Fiction. Uh, you're here with Josiah and and Steve, and we are talking about one of actually both of our favorite novels, um, Ender's Game, today by Orson Scott Card. Right on, and it is a good one. And uh, as a teacher, this is one that has a lot of appeal to young people as well. I think most people who get a hold of this book. Find something in it that they really like. So I think it's a good choice this week. Yeah, engaging a on a lot of different levels there. Lots of levels, Whether sure. Whether all you can see is plot or if you're <laughs> curious about the deep inner workings of uh, profound literature, this one can, can <laughs> satisfy all the way through the, the scope. There you go. It works shallow and it works deep. All right, cool. Um, well, the, uh, the story is relatively simple, as a lot of times things are in literature. So we are th- thrust into a world where... Uh, there's a threat of a, an alien race called the buggers that are out there and they're a threat to us and everyone knows about them and they have attacked once and we need to make sure that we are ready for their next attack because it could very well be our last. So we are introduced uh, slowly to a couple of people. One is a Colonel Graff and the other one is a Major Anderson who uh, are on the lookout for somebody to shepherd them through this uh, incoming war. We need somebody who can lead us through this thing. Um, and they choose young. They choose a, uh, someone that they can mold. And they uh, have attempted to look at a lot of people and sort of try them out in a variety of ways. And they alight on a young man, very young man, named Andrew Wigan, whose nickname is Ender. Um, and he is a the third member of a family. Uh, he has a sister who was also a candidate for uh, you know, being a leader, and so was the brother Peter, and we'll talk more about them as the story goes on. Uh, but it is Ender who has decided will be the one who's going to save us. So Ender gets uh, sent to battle school as a young man. He's one of the youngest kids to ever go there. And through the course of the novel, he is trained into being a leader and in, 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 how to fight battles, how to use his, his extreme intelligence to uh, prepare to fight these buggers. And I won't get into too much detail, but there's uh, some fantastic scenes in a battle room that is almost like a practice session and when in zero gravity and all kinds of, uh, you know, he's, he's moved around. But he's also treated, you know, the Graf and Anderson will do whatever they need to do to Ender to get him to be the leader that he can be. And sometimes as a reader, you will look at those things and say, oh my gosh, this poor kid. And even they say that sometimes, man, we have to do this. We have to treat him this way. We have to put him in these situations where it's, it's, it's difficult. We're going to put him in situations where he's hated. We're going to put him in uh, not just complex military situations where he's got to fight his way out of it and find a solution, but also how to deal with people. So ultimately, Ender becomes uh, the leader uh, becomes one of the best leaders that the world has ever seen. And uh, while he is you know, training for the battle, his brother and sister are at home sort of changing the world in another way with through uh, what Josiah and I kind of think of about as propaganda. Um, but uh, are, are we going to do spoil? I guess we will have to do some Definitely spoilers here. Spoil <laughs> All right. So if you haven't, uh, so, so uh, Ender is actually successful um, but is actually, a, one could say, is, is manipulated into victory. Do you yeah. want to clarify that, what I mean, Josiah, no, as the spoiler? Or? I mean, we'll get into that a little bit more, I think, because that's one of the key, it's, it's the key plot twist, but it's also uh, 
the defining difference, I think, between the ethics of what Graf does and the ethics of what Ender does. Great. And, uh, and it's really a, a, a profound difference there to, to do something knowingly and or to do something terrible knowingly versus to do something terrible unknowingly. There you go. And, and how that plays out on the soul is right, significant. Right. So Ender is, uh, you know, wins the battle. But like I said, he, 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 is, he, he thinks he's still playing a game, hence the title. Uh, or at least part of the title. That it, it's all a, a simulation. Right. Um, and when he finally does destroy the army, and everyone's excited and happy, he says, "What well, are people getting so excited about? This is just a game." And they say, "No, it wasn't a game. Uh, it was real the whole time." Uh, or uh, you know, towards the end here, you were actually you weren't you were in a simulation. These were the actual buggers, and you've killed them all. <laughs> yeah, good job. It's this amazing <laughs> like climactic moment. Uh, and and then it, what's funny to me is that Orson doesn't finish there. Like that's that's the end of the of the plot in some sense, mm-hmm. but the end of the story comes just a little bit after as Ender's trying to deal with what he just did. Right. He kind of finds out all of a sudden out of nowhere, like, right. oh my gosh, I just killed this entire race. Right. Uh, and and yet and then he, you know, has this desire to to redeem that terrible mm-hmm. situation right. a little right. bit. And he is a he's a wonderfully, wonderfully complex character who undergoes tremendous change. So he's your you know quintessential protagonist that is i think that's again why why the appeal is so high is because this is someone that kids get gen- and i say kids because i've taught this to young people but i think readers get really interested in him and and are really right there with him the whole time yeah he's a great he he's a really good hero i mean so one of our first questions here now that we've given a little bit of a summary was is is ender actually a hero i mean he he executes the the xenocide essentially of of this formic race and that's what they call them here in the book the formics uh-huh. and so i'll try and remember to say that instead of buggers because that's their sort of derogatory term <laughs> but um not that it matters much i doubt there are any around that'll be offended <laughs> but the uh I get some calls <laughs> yeah so so Ender, you know, he's, he commits xenocide against these formics kind of unknowingly. Mm-hmm. And that's that's in many ways his saving grace. I mean, I don't think it is much relief to him, but a little bit. Um, but the idea is that these these adults who understood the ethics of what they were doing were willing to take responsibility for uh, manipulating Ender into. And that was one of the key points as to why they had to use someone so young. Because for someone, and, and Mazer Rackham makes this point at the end, he says that, you know, I, I was too old and too experienced to be, to, to make the decisions that you were willing to make. And also, Andrew Wigan Ender was young enough to still, despite his in, in, incredible intelligence, just leagues above, above everyone else, he was still able to be manipulated into doing something that he would have never been able to do had he not, mm-hmm. had he known what he was doing. Right, right. And, and it was part of this, this magic place that he was at which made that possible. So you want to explore the idea about whether he is a true hero? Right. Is he a hero or a villain? And, and why might... Yeah, especially knowing what we know after reading the whole mm-hmm. picture, mm-hmm. which is that the the Formics probably weren't malicious. They probably would not have st- struck back against humanity. And, and they were not as much of a threat as they seemed to be at first pass. Um, and, and knowing that after the fact, can we, does that change what Ender did into, you know, does that remove the heroism from it? I guess. Yeah, it's a great question. Well, I think we looked at it as a, from a, a very simple, before we start getting a little deep, it, it, it did as a hero, 
Did he work hard? Did he do what he needed to do? Did he, did he even, even suffer in some ways to get what he wanted? And was he successful in his mission uh, and successful in his goal? Even though his goal was uh, misstated to him or, not, or kept secret from him, was he successful in uh, surviving all of the, you know, the, the difficulties that uh, Graf and Anderson put him through in order to prep him? Was he successful in molding an army? Uh, was he was he a successful leader? Well, really, all they ever told him that he was supposed to be, and he and knew this from the beginning. He knew that he was born because he might have the chance to be the leader of the army to mm-hmm. defeat the Formix. And so, actually, from the beginning, he kind of knew that's what he was going for, mm-hmm. and he didn't know yet what that was going to look like. Right. But he, I mean, he totally accomplished that uh, unknowingly. There you go. So that so in that way, he yeah. did. He he is heroic in his way that he was able to accomplish mm-hmm. this goal despite all and again i'm simplifying the, right. the whole thing but but from a, a, a way into this is to look and say okay from one point of view he is a hero right. um, he has overcome adversity of you know mental and physical adversity and he has persevered and he has succeeded in what he attempted to do all right i'm gonna play the devil's advocate a little bit and say okay well he also in the process of of doing what he had to do had to uh, actually become a little bit of what he hated. Yeah. And and that was really hard for him as a character throughout the story. Right. Like he, he recognized again and again and hated the part of himself that was like Peter. Yes, and we should probably talk a little bit about Peter. The author does a nice job of, t- of showing the two sides of Ender, which is uh, one of great compassion and love and kindness that exists within him and this sort of purity of spirit that's really quite lovely and, and quite normal for a six-year-old kid as well. Um, and and, his, and that, those traits are exhibited mainly in his younger sister, Valentine. But the contrast of that, which is sort of this masochistic and this sort of uh, almost violent and, 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 and angry. Sociopathic. Yes. Absolutely no caring whatsoever about what anyone else Yes, is, is exhibited in, this, uh, in the older brother, Peter. So what happens is that we have um, we have Ender who fits in both worlds and right. struggles kind of a ride lot. The line between them, and 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 if it's not driven home enough for the reader, the author will tell us or show us parts where they will say, "Oh, he's too much. He's too much like Valentine. Valentine in his is his weakness." And right. Ender himself will say, "Oh my God, I'm too much like Peter. I'm right. Peter. I don't like you know." So there's this internal conflict that's externalized by his brother and sister, but they are too. That, you know that he lives in both of these worlds. Yeah, and, uh, and, and it, it's funny because you're right. All the, the all the adults that he keeps coming across and throughout the story are trying to push him to be more like Peter, right? And trying to make sure he doesn't err on the side of Valentine, right? <laughs> like yeah. the whole way through. Yeah, that's his weakness. Yep. No, he can't do that. We can't have someone who needs to wipe out this race right. um, if he is sympathetic or kind <laughs> or understanding. Her into it to like <laughs> bring him back to sanity because uh, he because he just starts to slip into this self hatred the more he becomes like this person he hates right. and, and he recognizes in himself and and can't go on and so they drag right. valentine back into it she kind of right. reminds him of of that good side of him that he's just not he's right. not like peter and there's a there's a, a a a game that he continues to play very early on you remember the giants drink yes and yes. so it's sort of one of his first 
his fir- the first taste of, you know what, I really have to do something that I'm not really comfortable doing if I want to succeed in this game. Because he tries all of the, in- you know, he's got to get past this game. Just like any game, you have this sort of boss at the end that you have to defeat. And this mm-hmm. there's this giant, and he and he never gets, he can't get past this part in the game. Right. And- well, and you're not supposed to. You find out later that the game, that is the end of the game, according to virtually, essentially everyone who ever played it until Ender. Right. But I was going to say that he was, when he got to the, the, the giant, he tries everything around getting rid of this giant. And it is not until he actually attacks and destroys and gouges out the eyes and actually kills this giant, which is not really intuitive, I don't think, right. that you would do. <laughs> but in their smart enough to know I've tried everything else, right. let me try a Peter kind of move on it. Mm-hmm. And that's what actually moves him forward in right. the game. So that's that what I was getting like at when I said... Three times in his life, right? So he pulls the Peter move right after his... <laughs> the within Peter the first move. chapter, right? Well, yeah. that's... And so this... I want to bring in actually a little bit of a... It's... Uh, oh, why can't I remember? Not Nietzsche. Um, there's a, a an old psychologist who talks about integrating the shadow. Mm-hmm. It's... Um, oh his name will come back to me okay there's this idea that for a person to become an individual of any substance of any utility to the world they can't just be nice or good or kind Mm -hmm. like a good a good person is and i'm quoting actually peterson here jordan peterson he's a good person is not a nice person it's a person who is a very very dangerous person but who has it under voluntary control Mm. there's there's this need to integrate the dark and aggressive and and powerful and the ability to to manipulate that power to, to do something and have that under voluntary control only to be used when necessary but if we don't actually have that power or if you're unwilling to ever show that power it's it's immediately disables that person from being effective in the world well before we talk more about that which i think is a fantastic thing to discuss we can say that that i would argue that 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 actually is is uh great evidence for Ender being a hero because he mm. is able to integrate that right. uh, that force. Painful though it him. is, that is painful though it is. He is able to call on you know be the Peter when right. he needs to be the Peter, mm-hmm. and so um, and keep the Valentine at bay when the Valentine is is in him is uh, yeah. not going to get him the means he wants. So, but like you said, this it's not as simple. It's simple as I just explained it, but the 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 mental torture and the anguish oh, that gosh. that he goes through. Constantly. Is uh, Orson Scott Orson Scott Card says that you know adults have, you know, extreme pity when he you know a lot of, he has a lot of younger readers of this book, but he's noticed that the adults are the ones who the, their first reaction to Ender is one of pity, and and, and they right. feel and they, they oh feel my so gosh oh my gosh this is so awful this is awful young, young people don't really get into the pity part for him because I think they <laughs> I think they see in Ender at least a microcosm of what they go through which is trying to struggle through life and try to be one thing to their friends and one thing to their parents or what, you know what I mean? It's they, they, they get those internal struggles, I think, as part of growing up, as part of becoming an adult rather than adults who look back on it and say, oh, how awful that he's have to go through this when right. they likely went through something similar or yeah, at least on I a mean, smaller it's, scale. It's those, those difficult moments that define a person 
as who they are. Like it's what shapes right. a person to sure. what they're going to become. Um, that the um, psychologist is Carl Jung, so he's the one who Carl has the idea yes. of integrating the shadow. Yeah, where you have to be willing to accept the things that you don't like about yourself and mm-hmm. to not not just reject them completely. You have to actually integrate them into your being right, right. on some level. Right. It's fool. It's 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 foolish. It's folly to ignore it and pretend it's not there. No. Right. It doesn't I mean, work. It, yeah. So it becomes a dragon you're, within you're, yourself. Yeah. Your only hope really is to integrate it and to actually use it as a tool instead of uh, denying its existence or fearing it or 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 beating yourself up that you have these dark thoughts or or you know different (laughs) ideas there's a there's kind of an interesting moral um i don't know if it's a question but there's an assertion there that is made that um it is not it is not the darkness within ourselves that makes us bad people like it's not it's not necessarily that it's what we choose to do about it yeah which yeah. is a very much it's like harry potter kind of yeah. most of that story is explores that idea really well because especially harry in the later got, books sure right that's he's true. got yes, like yes. piece of voldemort inside yes he's of got yeah and yeah. there are so many parallels like harry potter is, right. is just a hair's width away from voldemort and mm-hmm. it, what it depends entirely on the difference between them is harry kept keeps choosing to do his best right. with what he has and voldemort uh, just chooses to serve himself with what he has, and yeah. that's the only—that's the only deep difference between right, them. Right. And I feel like Ender, you know, ultimately that's that's what makes him a really heroic person, is that he, despite despite the really terrible things he is forced to do, he makes the most of it again and again. You know, even when he's he's given these horrible challenges by these adults around him, he knows the adults are the enemy. He knows that they're just trying to break him or trying to grow him. And instead of giving up or or not playing the game or, or doing any number of things that he could do to rebel, he just does his best. Right. Again and again, he just does his best. Which is the f- uh, ethical framework that talks about goodwill and how that, because I think that applies to Ender here, that he's, he's what he does, he does good he, he, for the sake of being good. Like he, and when you're saying... Uh, it's kind of an Aristotelian thing. I mean, he tries to live out the best... Like he tries to be like the best people he knows. Right there, you go. Generally, as, as you're saying that, like you're right. that, that, that's what his uh, that's what it was making me think of is that that idea of um, that he always does as Harry does. Like he always right. does what's you know seems at, right in that moment. Right, right. It's a hard decision to make. <laughs> oh, it's and you don't always get it right. Right, right. right. <laughs> I mean, and and sometimes it forces you to do things that are questionably ethical. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that you pointed out earlier when we were talking. So there's. Gaff, uh, Colonel Gaff, Graff, 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 yeah, uh, uh-huh. is is a pretty strict utilitarian, right? Mm-hmm. He knows the big picture. He knows that the goal in this thing is to train someone up to wipe out this formic race, and and he's willing to do almost anything to get there because ultimately, he in his mind, the the entire human race depends on it. And so it's worth any risk. The consequence right. of failure is so high that basically anything is becomes permissible in his right. in his mind. Right. But because of how how vital the means are, any any way to get right. there, the ends or sorry, justified. the ends are that that we can justify any means. Exactly. If that means people are going to have to suffer or die yeah. or we kill off there's a, a bunch of kids in, in right, a battle school, right. and it, there, it's worth it. Yeah, and there's a lot of collateral damage there that, is. That, that, that in, in getting Ender to this spot that, right. that even you know, Ender knows it even he he justifies to himself using the same thought patterns (laughs) that look i i'm willing to go to greater lengths than than i want to and and that's what makes him i think really different than than graf is that he can he can actually shift frameworks in his mind he can on one hand yeah he can't like that 
like, oh, I'm doing the wrong thing. Like, this is so terrible, um, and, and I don't want to have to do it. And then he can shift over in his mind and say, no, this is necessary for the saving right. of the human race and, and, and sort of bite, swallow down that part of him right. that, that objects for the sake of something greater, right. which is really profound. It's very profound, and I think it really forces readers to grapple with this idea of graph and saying, do, or, or, it forces a reader to grapple with his or her own ethics mm-hmm. and say, do I agree with graph that the ends justify the means? Right. That, that as a, if he is a strict consequentialist, then do I agree with that? Is that true in my life? Do I feel like as long as the ultimate goal is, is, is a good one mm-hmm. and, and it, it is beneficial, right. then it really doesn't matter if there's some collateral damage, if there's some you know suffering and, and, and death or anguish or despair along the way. It, yeah. it, it's, a, it's, it, it's the question that we've been grappling with since Aristotle. So right. it's, a, it's something that, that it's is going to be unique to each reader. But yeah. I, I'm curious to what you think about it. <laughs> well, I put you on the spot there. What, what no, it's really good. So actually, I'm going to do something a little bit... <clears throat> A little bit unusual here, and I want to talk about what I think Orson it was suggesting through this novel, um, and and I'll, we can talk about whether or not we think it's a valid assertion. But I think within his his novel, he's actually suggesting that utilitarianism is not an, enough of a it, it's a it's an it's a framework that doesn't work even in the extreme. Mm. So so I think his suggestion would be that that graph. Although he was justified in court, and I put that in air quotes because yes. you know the the humans let him off, sure, so they say, yeah, uh, yeah. for his war crimes because he succeeded, right? And he knew that, and he suspected they would, yes. But but it's all of his decisions, and it's the it's it's ultimately this utilitarian mindset that drives him as the leader of the IF to to. Uh, initiate all of these circumstances that causes Ender to kill two kids, mm-hmm. to, to build this crazy battle school that you know puts young children into the worst circumstances, right. actually gets Ender to uh, commit xenocide. So all of his actions are what push Ender into this, this goal, and they're successful, but you find out at the very end that actually the goal itself wasn't a good goal. We did. They didn't need to wipe out the formics. Right, it wasn't right. necessary. Mm-hmm. There were. It was simply a matter of poor communication, right. and that maybe if they'd have put the same effort into getting Ender or someone like Ender to understand, to understand, them, be sort of an interpreter. Exactly, or something like that. it yes, could have been yeah. avoided. Right, right. And and so his, I think, total conclusion at the end is that although people will accept a utilitarian defense of horrible actions and, and justify the means actions, mm-hmm. ultimately you're worse off. Because I think yeah. in the I end, humanity and Ender are, are worse off. I think that is completely uh, justifiable, and there's lots of evidence in the text to support that assertion. So I would say that that is an absolutely valid interpretation and, and very, very likely. And uh, that's tough because, I mean, it's these existential crises that are often the biggest defense of utilitarian sort of ethics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and maybe his suggestion is okay. Maybe something Aristotelian is the better way to go. Maybe something yeah. that's a little bit more, a little less consequentialist, a little more thinking about the now, the here and the now. How can mm-hmm. I make the best decision I can in the moment? Because that's more how Ender works his way through all of these problems. Right. You know, his choice to to save the queen at the end is is essentially just that. You know, yes, he could kill her right then and ultimately rid humanity of the risk right. of this other yeah, species, right. which is probably 
and for humanity, the safer thing to do for sure. Yeah, right. If right, not, right. you know, if not, definitely the most the most ethical. But but he is set up as the hero, and he is set up as a redemptive Christ figure. Even right, right. By, by choosing to take this this being in right. to give her the chance to rebuild an entire race. And 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 I think and I agree completely with what you're saying. I also think that he is doing that as a way to sort of redeem himself from himself right. as well. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. that that is, you know, if we've done something terrible, um, there is often a, a natural reaction to try to right that wrong in mm. some other way. I've harmed someone here. Let me try to help someone over here uh, to try to maybe cancel that out or even that out a little right, bit. Right, right. And so there's that very basic uh, thing that's happening as well within Ender, I think, that he's, uh, I've done this horrible thing. I knew I was doing this horrible thing. Well, he didn't really know he was doing a horrible thing, but uh, yeah, he he kind of he had the suspicion. Yeah, I think like that. Yeah, I think that once it's it, it gets there, like you said, he he kind of knew that his goal was to be this leader, mm-hmm. and he's smart enough to know that being this leader um, does not mean being a good person. Um, there's a I know that Josiah is a big Lord of the Rings fan, and there's a uh, someone was talking about Tolkien the other day and was telling me about how. Um, in Tolkien's, see if you agree with this, Josiah. That in, in in Tolkien's world, a lot of times that it ends with the you know there's battles and 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 then someone ends up ruling a kingdom and they, and, and there they have and they've gained the kingdom and they rule forevermore. But he never goes ba- into like what kind of rule that that had you know like what what the what the rulers or the leaders had and uh, you know w- were they successful? Like he leaves it there. And George R. R. Martin from Game of Thrones says. That if you look back, the the good people are often really terrible leaders. You know, like <laughs> people the, who are just like yeah, nice people. He's something like David Frost or something. There's a, there's a character, and they threw out this name. I didn't recognize the oh. name, so um, that's probably way off. But <laughs> anyway, they, and I was like, oh, that's a really interesting concept. That the best people are really not your best leaders. Mm-hmm. And so when, uh, when I'm thinking of like in Game of Thrones, the first king who's on the throne who ends up getting killed or while well, he's out hunting isn't a very good king. He's too amiable. He's too agreeable. What's he's his not, name? Um, Robert. Um, I don't remember his last name. Right, I was wondering if it would Robert. ring that. Yeah. So I don't mean to take us on a bird yeah. walk, but it, you made me think of it when you said um, uh, about what did you say that got me thinking about that? About about I, I guess I was thinking about that being a a great leader does not necessarily mean that you're a great, like that you're a, 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 nice a good, kind good, person. Yeah, yeah kind. good good people don't often make good leaders. No, I mean, that comes back to, that comes back to integrating the shadow idea. Yeah, like, absolutely. A nice person is rarely an effective person. And when it comes to leading humanity or especially a commander in a, in a war, right. like, you can't be a nice person. No. You know, graph. And Graf and Ender both knew that when they were Graf when he was training Ender, but Ender when he was training up Bean and the rest of his little army, he knew that he couldn't be their friend. Right. That um, he talk Graf talks about how they're going to surround him with enemies. Right. You know, in, in the very early chapters, oh, the very yeah. first chapter of Ender, <laughs> Ender's game. You know, they, they say, well, we are saving the world, so let's take him. Like, and they're going to surround him with enemies. They're going to make his life a living hell. Right. And, but that's, that's what it takes to bring people to their, to their best. Right, right. And so in times of war and existential yeah. crisis, like, you need people at their best. Right. And so, you know, again, whatever means necessary, right? You know? Right. I think it's interesting um, that Graf, 
you know, Ender realizes, and he's young, and this is early in this in the book, but he's like, oh my gosh, I thought he was my friend. You know, he was really mm. kind to me. He brought me up to this battle school. He was treating me so well. I loved this adult. I thought he was my friend. And then he, and Ender has this realization, he's not my friend. Mm. But there's a line from Graf where he's talking to Anderson and says, the kid's wrong. I am his friend. Yeah. I am his friend. I, I want what's best for, you know, like that yeah. I'm trying to make him into the best, you know, so maybe it's, that's justification or self-justification on Graf's part, but I thought it was an interesting that, 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 uh, Card uses that in the novel as a, as a, you know, no, no, I am his friend. There's a, there's a really beautiful parental insight in that, you know, for, for, and I've seen parents fail at this. I'm a young kid too. I mean, I'm 28, I'm getting ready to be a parent, but <laughs> as I think about parenting, I, I very often think about the challenge between um, raising a child in a life that is comfortable and good and quote unquote happy um, and raising a child to become what they are most capable of. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. do, is, is my job as a parent to raise a, a powerful, effective child or is it to raise a child who's happy and lives in a, in a comfortable pleasant right. life and yeah. and those those two things don't always i mean they're 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 in conflict more often than not yeah yeah you know if, if i'm going to try and raise a powerful effective child i actually need them to be exposed to difficulty uh, I need yeah, absolutely to be exposed to hard things right and, they and have that to build yeah. up their own autonomy and that's just and, hard and, to watch yeah <laughs> and what what you'll find is that there's a natural human instinct to protect your child from, right. from difficulties and harm and things that will cause them distress where where the irony is that those are probably the best things for well, especially a child in this world that we live in right now that is f- fundamentally really safe i mean the, the world we live in now is safer than it's ever been mm-hmm. in the history of humanity you know in our million years of, of recent history there there the world has never been so friendly to human life because we've mm-hmm. made it that way we've mm-hmm. whipped it you know babies yeah. don't hardly die anymore mm-hmm. we we pretty much most people are going to survive well into their 40s or 50s unless something crazy sure. happens yeah. and yeah and that's so un- that's just unheard of. Like throughout human evolution, we're struggling against the forces of nature in in ways that were sure likely to kill us very quickly. <laughs> and so it, <clears throat> there was no avoiding the difficulty that would create a powerful person back mm-hmm. in the day. Right now, you can actually avoid discomfort really effectively. Oh yeah, for a long time. Oh yeah, you for can a give a kid time. an iPad and they can miss their whole you know childhood. <laughs> 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 and all the things, all the difficulties and the yeah. and the stresses that, the that, are, that are that real would shape them into a useful well, person. We see in in you know in the past fifteen twenty years is that this idea of helicopter parenting right. or or protecting a child from you know even the slightest bit of discomfort Freaking you know get, getting cut from a, a soccer team or uh or getting a bad grade on a on an exam or something right. like that like even we can't have with- that we cannot have that and right. and what what we're seeing is that when these kids get real adversity they absolutely crumble, crumble because it's almost like an immune system that has not been built up yeah, to it's an anti-fragile to, idea right so so you know protecting a child which again i understand is a very natural instinct nobody wants their child to when your child is crying and is and is upset parents you you feel it profoundly you know totally. and and, and, like and, and you want to stop that i, I you know there's a, yeah you don't let an infant cry right, exactly. <laughs> you know, you, right. You, it's you're, you're, you wanna, you want to you want to protect the newborn right you know? but if you look at you know and then it, it, it there's myriad examples of 
um, wealthy people who have given their kids every bit of privilege. And those people, you know, that have never had to work for anything, that, is, that things have been given, those are some of the worst human beings that I've ever come across in my <laughs> life. It's true. Yeah, right. It's really true. They're, they're because they've never had to struggle well, and, and they've the, never had any kind of adversity and they have a sense of entitlement and a sense of superiority. And it's a really, uh, and, and then w- again, when challenges come or, or difficulties come up, they're ill-equipped to handle uh, any kind of adversity that requires them to sort of think for themselves or do something that, you know, is, is you know, because they just have not had that kind of yeah, There's no resilience there. Zero. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> well, very little, yeah. I should say. But and, yes. You know, and, and I think at any point in the life, someone with, with the will to, to press on and grow and try hard can actually, again, like they can, they can find that growth in themselves when they inevitably get struck by something because, you know, soon we live in a, the world's not perfect and sooner or later we're going to get hit by something, but, and, and, and people who deal with that well, they grow and people yeah. who don't, don't, but <clears throat> there, there are opportunities. And I think that that's, I mean, that's gotta be one of the big takeaways of this story is that despite the, the, the questionable ethics of what Graf was doing, mm-hmm. the, the method of growing someone into their potential is valid. Right. Um, I, I tend to, at least at this moment, and my t- my uh, interpretations tend to sort of, you know, vary from year to year and from month to month and, and uh, sometimes throughout the novel. But I think that when I look at what we just talked about, I w- would have to argue that what happened to Ender was actually a, a, a good thing. Yeah, as far as his personal development. Yes, yeah. that, that, was, uh, that, that that helped him become the best person he could be, even yeah. though, you know, despite all of those those difficult things yeah and they, and they were very difficult we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't de-emphasize them totally. I mean, we're talking about and, you know. and it's not like it's when i'm not really and this is the the tricky part with this idea of anti-fragility is that and and parenting for as a as a uh, consequence of that i'm not saying that it's it's ethically okay to subject your kids to horrible things for the sake of growing them like there, I don't, I don't know where that balance is. I don't mm-hmm. understand that. You know, yeah. I think um, when I look at the Christian religion, um, God is a character who, far more often than not, doesn't remove the difficulty from His people. Mm-hmm. Um, he grows them in Egypt and brings them out of slavery into a desert. <laughs> you know, he, and He takes them out of the desert after forty years of wandering into a quote-unquote promised land that was full of giants, and then. He tells them to go in, but not actually wipe everyone out because he wants to leave the struggle there in the <laughs> land so that they don't get soft and, and you go. Know, fall apart. So, well, like, if God believes it, then we shoot. We, we got to right. go with that, exactly. right? Exactly. Well, I'm not exactly God, so I have a harder time walking that line. <laughs> but it's a, it's a great, I mean, that's a great example there of what exactly what we're talking about. This idea that, that struggle is absolutely necessary and real. That's right. why I've kind of jokingly said, yeah. even God says so. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's definitely a part of it. Struggle is real. Um, I want to just there's there's this thing that um, there's this moment in the in the novel where I think it's in the game in the imaginary game in the battle room in, or in the giant drinking. Sorry, game. in the giant drinking uh-huh. game. After yes. he gets past the giant, mm-hmm. uh, he he shows up in this room and he keeps seeing Peter Wigan in the mirror. He keeps yeah. seeing the brother, um, and and it's, it's just tearing him up on the inside because he right. doesn't want to see his brother in himself. Right. But it's a part of it. He only ever finally gets past that point when he kisses the snake. So like, there's the snake uh, yeah. that eats him, 
and there's this beautiful scene where he comes and he kisses it and and it's like and and i think the mirror shatters and and everything changes and he gets past that point mm-hmm. to, um, to to whatever this next you know beyond the edge of the map location right. is and and i feel like that just i just wanted to give orson scott card some kudos for that pr- for profound image like i've right. never seen such a better picture of integrating the shadow but i was gonna say is yeah. that if that's not integrating the shadow <laughs> my gosh you know anyone like can breakthrough moment uh, so hugely that's awesome that yeah. is uh and yeah he is uh he's, he's quite brilliant author i, yeah. I, I oh, think man. he's uh you know, like I said, the success, you know, you often ask students, you know, what do you think, you know, what, what rate your novels at the end of the year, you know, which one did you like the best? And this one, you know, in 25 plus years of teaching, Ender's Game always makes the top two or three. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting to think, you know, if something has such widespread appeal, I mean, even look at Harry Potter. Right. What is it about these these stories that are, inc- I mean, I, I think Josiah and I would agree that it's, there's the universality is what makes them hugely successful not any yeah, kind of a marketing campaign or something right. like that i mean these are these are, are stories that are going to be with us for a while because they speak to us mm-hmm. um I, I i love i yeah so anyway that's that that's some, yeah. some well, great stuff there <laughs> a little side, side note there that no really it's, it's 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 a it's a specific moment that really illustrates what we're talking oh, about so I good love it. there's another um there's this other line that ender i think he was when he was floating on the raft talking to valentine out in the middle of the lake and he he's telling her that these people that he beat, and he he has a hunch that he killed the the two boys who who fought him in, in previous years. Mm-hmm. He has a hunch that he killed them. He doesn't know for sure at that point, mm-hmm. but he, he suspects it. And what he what he tells her is that um, he he recognizes in himself his ability to be destructive, and how it's actually tied to his ability to understand them on a deep level. And when he understands them completely then it is that he loves them. And that's this line that yeah, he says. Yeah. You know, he says, I, I understood them completely. And it's when I do that that I love them. Right. And there's that is there's there's a couple layers to that that I want to mention because yeah. there's the there's the assertion that love is what results from understanding. And and that's I feel like you couldn't you can't overstate that in, in our world. We because we live in a world of a lot of screaming and very little understanding. Mm-hmm. Very little understanding. I and, agree. And we're we're doomed to be creatures of limited understanding. I mean, that's what the um, the Oracle of Delphi says about Socrates. You know, when someone asks him who's the wisest man on earth, he says, "Well, Socrates, because he knows that he does not know." <laughs> and and that's you know the beginning of understanding is right. that humility and recognition that you just we're just not going to know. And so that's some on one hand that's important to to, to be aware of. That. Mm-hmm. Okay. I should take everything that I come that come I come across with some humility and recognition that I'm not going to understand it completely. I might have some idea, but not much. And someone else is going to have a different idea, and that they probably know something I don't know, and that's worth listening to. But also that the deeper the understanding a person may have of someone else, um, the more the more love is possible, even if that person is the mm-hmm. enemy. Yeah, and and that might not even, you know. That might not even mean if you understand them and if you love them, you might still have to act against them. Like, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it doesn't make it any easier. It makes it harder even, but that's what makes for effective, concise action. You mm-hmm. know, when it came down to it, both Ender's conclusion about both of the boys that he ended up killing was that, the, was, so ultimately that they're, they're the kind of people that 
have to be killed for for the good of humanity from you know? a consequentialist right from a consequentialist perspective right. and so maybe he maybe those are justified actions and especially in the in light of the fact that he didn't intend to kill them he just needed to eliminate right. them they needed to be stopped I, I think it is important that he that, that it, it isn't purposeful you know right, what i mean right. and, and both it's not a purposeful both murder right right these are these is self defense with the goal of eliminating that person as a threat. That's right. the kind of, those are the people who should be in jail. You know, they're the, going to cause problems. I want to point out that I agree with your assertion about that. You know, that, uh, uh, that if we understand mm-hmm. and we seek to understand that that is uh, incredibly beneficial. I'm right. thinking of so many examples in our world today that if that were the goal to seek to understand right. instead of the bombast and the, and the, and the shouting and the, you know, mm-hmm. the, the othering that we do. Yeah. Um, if we did that, but I want to point out that one of the reasons why Ender is so successful at that mm-hmm. is because he also has a high degree of self-awareness as well. Yes. And I think that Far we have so a, than... I think that self-awareness is equally important of understanding who I am and why I think the way I do and where my beliefs came from and where I have conflict to me as an educator that is one of the things that I try to sort of slide in under the radar you know I don't directly teach self-awareness but I you know when you grapple with literature you are experiencing some self-awareness why I think this boy he thinks something different why do I think that way? Right. What Especially has shaped me to be right? And so, so self awareness emerges, but understanding oneself, you know, know thyself is is I mean, it, it is is huge. And I think is the Might be a precursor. And, and and we have and and look at Ender. Look at the retrospection that that kid has. Or Profound sorry, the, uh, not retrospection. The introspection. My apologies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look at the interest. I mean, it is. He is. He is as self-aware or as striving for self-awareness as any character I've ever come across. Right. And Harry Potter is another one. There's another one that, right. that, that, <laughs> that, that, that what's going on in Harry's mind is who am I? Right. <laughs> and, and that's, and, and maybe that's part of what like Graf was trying to force into Ender by isolating him. Cause when you spend a lot of time in isolation, you right, have to right. struggle with your own inner questions. Right, right. I mean, even the fact that he finds his greatest moments of peace when he's out on a raft right. <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, you know? yeah, uh, in the middle of a lake, you know, that, that, uh, that all his answers are, are, are in his head. So, right. so that, I think that's... Uh, and I, his I, answers are that he doesn't have any answers. There you go. I mean, that's, yeah. that's kind of the beginning of seeking to understand is the recognition that you don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, and Ender being the most brilliant individual in humanity at this point, he is the first to recognize that he doesn't know. Yeah. He doesn't know himself. Right. He doesn't, and, and he seeks to understand other people. Right, right. And, and that was what ultimately led him to be as successful as he yeah. was in whatever he went after. Um, I love his, and, and we digress a little bit from serious topics, but my, my favorite part of the story in high school, and then again, rereading it recently, I love how he looks at the battle room and immediately sees how all these tactics are only marginally effective. Everyone's doing the same thing, and if someone, if some other leader or commander makes some slight tweak that everyone then follows and adjusts to, to make render ineffective, right. he immediately sees through and and he jumps four steps ahead on on every tactic and, and right. ju- by thinking outside the box oh, in really yeah. profound huh. ways. Oh, incredibly profound, and I think that's where you know that's another great thing that's in this novel about 
how he looks at the way things have, have been, and he completely turns everything up upside down, literally. Yeah. I mean, there's a quote that's obvious, you know, that the enemy's gate is always down, yeah. you know, like that, you know, it's not, it was always thought to be this way. Mm-hmm. And he flips that completely and says, no, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to actually shoot ourselves and we're going to, you know, and, you know, yeah. like we're going to, I mean, freeze ourselves as with our, with our guns and, and his, his outside of the box thinking is in, is not just outside of the box, like it's thinking differently. It's taking what is accepted as a, as a, as a, as a proven strategy or what, or something that that doesn't need to be improved on and flipping it and actually doing the opposite of that and having better results as a, you know, and to me, that's, that's fantastic. I mean, that's, those are the, those are the innovators. That's the people, the the Steve jobs, the, the Elon Musk. He's like, okay, uh, electric electric makes sense for cars like why are we using gasoline like the cars stop and go mm-hmm. and so you can save the energy every time you stop and you can use it when you go and right. we should be all driving electric cars right, right. as he goes and builds one yeah. yeah and so you know people who are driving gas powered cars are just saying well, what's the what's the big deal this is what we've always done we always right. have gas powered cars yeah, we'll make them more efficient like, a little yeah, incremental yeah, improvement, yeah, yeah. Incremental improvement. Right. Well, we got more miles per gallon than ever before i mean yep. and so yeah musk comes in and says no nah, i'm gonna flip that whole model yep i'm gonna we're gonna go electric completely i'm gonna, I'm gonna say work. i don't want that i i don't want a gas powered vehicle and start right. there instead of us, us, you know, the assumption that we have to have gas-powered vehicles, so let's make them as efficient as possible. Right, and um, he did that. I mean, Tesla as a company did that through every part of the development process. I mean, they're the first American, new American manufacturer to be successful in, in decades, yes, decades and decades. That's I mean, they just the fact that they pulled that off is a miracle. Right. And now they've got by far the best production electric cars you know, on the market. Right. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So there's that, 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 uh, outside of the box thinking and that flipping, um, existing paradigms, yeah. uh, as a way to move forward is certainly part of his, you know, what makes him a, a, a Steve jobs or, right. a, or an Elon Think Musk how tough of his that is time. To be a, to be a leader over the top of someone like that though, oh, you yeah. know, yeah. like him as a, as a leader over Bean, who is the same kind of character, right. but another protege. It's so difficult to deal with someone like that properly because, mm-hmm. All of a sudden, they're going to be shaking everything that's going on right, the whole right. way through. Oh yeah, of course it, that's anti fragility. So what's going to come out of that is better than what you had before. Right, but it's just right. uncomfortable. Yes, you know? yes. I was thinking too that that you know, and, and this is and as, as you read the novel, it's it's so exciting to see because with every success that he has, you know, someone else is there to just tweak it even more. So we're going to make it more. You know, okay, you figure this out, and we're going to continue to challenge you and throw things at you where it gets almost to be like absolutely impossible. Uh, but he finds a way, and uh, it's brilliant. Yeah, uh, I think that's really cool. Sorry, I had to take a quick break there, but we got got on on this tangent about uh, integrating the shadow, and and Steve, you were just saying something about that that was really oh, profound. I just, yeah, I think that it, it just strikes me as a, an incredibly profound concept and simple in its understanding. This idea that we have darkness inside of us, and that the embracing of that is so much better than uh, trying to f- trying to pretend it's not there yeah, or trying to fight to kill against it. it. Yeah. yeah, so embracing rather than killing or ignoring. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking back to Shakespeare in Hamlet where he says, um, um, she, the, the, the queen says at one point, he's telling her what a terrible person she is, you know, because she married her, her uh, husband's brother. He's, he's, he's going after it's It's not a good scene for Hamlet. He's being very mean. And the queen says, you turn my eyes into my very soul, and there I see such black and grainy spots that will not leave their taint. So she looks inside herself, and she sees darkness. Now, many readers have said, well, there's evidence that she was 
complicit in this uh, uh, killing of the king, that there's the evidence, right, that she's got darkness in her soul. Mm -hmm. And I had a professor one time tell me, someone mentioned that in class, I think it was. And I'll never forget, the professor said, oh, really? Well, what happens when you look inside your soul? Do you not see any black and granite spots? Because if you don't, <laughs> then I'm considering whether you're human or not. You know, and it was such a great line. Like right. that that is not evidence that, of wrongdoing. That's evidence of humanity. Right. Uh, that you look inside your soul and you see darkness. Uh, it's pretty and, profound that Ender can can look inside other people's souls, uh-huh. see the darkness. And be okay with it and love them anyway. I, I know. That's fantastic. <laughs> I think yeah, it's wonderful. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think it's uh, – so, yeah, that's a, to me, thanks for bringing that up today because it, it, I think that you could look at that and, and really get people to grapple with that. And I think it's, a, it's such an, uh, an important thing to grapple with and to really consider and think about. Um, it's, and, it's a really common theme I've seen um, in, in literature but in movies as well. Where, where you start out with a character who's a bit naive and a, a bit you know, ambitious, but they don't, uh, sometimes they start out rejecting their dark side or, or something terrible happens to them and it puts them into a bitterness and this angry, resentful world. And, and part of how they get out of that and grow is by coming to accept that edge, that, mm-hmm. that darkness that yeah. they have within them right. and, and, and integrate that properly into who they are rather right. than rather than rejecting it, you know, right. to kind of forgive themselves for it, accept that as part of who they are, love themselves despite it. Right. And, and then that has a kind of takes a place in, in their personality yeah. in some sense. That's, I was thinking about some, you know, that a lot of people who are creating some content now are exploring that in, you know, some of our best protagonists are ones that we do see that, you know, in the old days, you know, we had the hero that could do no wrong. He, right. wore, he wore white and he was, a, you know, good no matter what, Classic you know, Superman. and, and, and the, the, the heroes that I think we look at, Odysseus is a good one. We talked about him earlier on, Josiah and I, but Odysseus doesn't have a lot of great, I mean, there's some bad qualities that he has. Oh, man. He's not a good guy all the, all the time. You know, he's, he's, he's arrogant. He's a braggart. He's a, you know, a little too sure of himself at times not you know you know but he is uh so he is one who embraces the darkness mm-hmm. but i was thinking about how how the converse works as well because when you look at some content that's being released now we have we have villains that are not necessarily stereotypical villains that are all bad so mm. do you see what i'm getting at that the the idea that there is goodness that exists in a, in in within darkness right you know is also there right. because we you know there are some pure you know darth vader like characters but yeah. but there are you get a thanos uh, out there where it's like right they're, they're there making you go really terrible dark decisions um with with a sort of pseudo justifiable right, ethic right right um, and that, and yeah. it makes for an interesting character it to, makes for to a, struggle with, right? Because intuitively, like everyone recognizes that Thanos is the bad guy, right? You know, there's right. no question that sure. he is, sure. and and therefore shouldn't be admired. But the fact that on the surface, at least, it looks like he has a, a, an ethical justification right, for right. his actions that seems reasonable, yeah, is that's a very that's a profound thing that 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 people and to move outside of the fictional realm that people in our world who are, have positions of power and leadership might be doing things that on the surface seem justifiably ethical, mm-hmm. but really what's under the surface of that, if you go a little bit deeper, like with Thanos, 
um, what's under the surface of that is this is actually a, a profound megalomania. It's there's mm-hmm. a deep need to control. Right. There is right. actually a, some bitter resentfulness uh, left over mm-hmm. that desire to, to see the world burn and and for you to be the one to do it right right. and that's really the root of it even though on the surface it seems like there's there's logical ethical justification right and that's yeah i mean that i agree completely i think that's a little different from what i was okay talking about which yeah, yeah. is that there are as much as there is darkness within good people mm-hmm. there's also goodness in within, dark people yeah yeah okay. uh you know what i mean like that you know and so but you're absolutely right totally. about Thanos. Your your interpretation of that is spot on. I'm I mean, not I'm not the, disagreeing with that at all. That's the um, redemptive story, right? A, like where they where they take someone who's the antagonist the whole way through, and and through some uh, course of events they they get redeemed. There's that. There's also just from a pure storytelling point of view mm-hmm. that a, a a villain who is not wholly evil, W H O L L Y, wholly evil, is far more interesting because that person is more human because right. we know that people that that you know some really bad people have some really good qualities you know what i mean there's mm. some you know there's uh I'm um, trying to think so, of a good example of that uh in a, in a recent recent novel or, or well movie. i i mean one there's a western that uh, david milch did years ago called deadwood and the main character or the main antagonist there is a very bad person uh swearigen is his name al swearigen and he's a bad person but milch always whenever he has the opportunity provides him examples of compassion and caring that are just they're just around the edges to remind you that this isn't uh this isn't your darth vader this is a human being and i think that's what makes people interested like you know that they become a far more interesting character you know what i mean and and i see it in thanos too although what you said is very very true but what some people can find kind of see is if there's any kind of see see, people people might perceive what thanos has done is sort of a good thing you know there's goodness within there and that makes him a far more interesting uh villain than than a two-dimensional villain so i think it's worth noting that one of the reasons why things survive is 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 where there's a duality that exists because mm-hmm. there's a duality that exists within all of us, I believe. Right. And so when when authors or writers or you know directors showcase or r- exemplify for us that duality of human nature, um, even Hamlet is not a great guy at times. He's a he's brilliant. He's smart. He's witty. Um, but he's also it can be a it's jerk. It can be yeah, yeah he's, he Definitely. does he does he treats people terribly and, and things like that. So but I, I don't look at him as like, oh let's judge him as a you know, he's a bad guy here and a good guy here. I look at him as a that's he's a human being. Right. That's Very exactly real, what a human it's is. It's a real story that way. Exactly. You're, you're not, it's there's something a little bit less propagandistic about a story like that that actually tells both sides. Right. Because right. that's really what it is. I mean right. that's actually it's the advantage of, of learning about actions through stories ra- through good stories rather right. than through instructions because mm-hmm. you know i can tell someone to a you know be a good person mm-hmm. like pinocchio with the cricket who goes off on his little moral rant <laughs> at the beginning of the story you know and tries to describe morality within a couple of sentences you just can't <laughs> even do it it's silly to try to be dogmatic about about morals and ethics but if you if you 
pay attention to these stories and these mm-hmm. characters, mm-hmm. especially the good ones where you see the conflict within these individuals, you can get a, such a more rounded idea oh, yeah. of what it means to struggle with appropriate action. Right. And right. That's, it's we need to struggle with appropriate action because right, right. life's full of complicated, gray oh, yeah. decisions. Like absolutely. Oh gosh. Yeah. No, these uh, yeah, these stories that are with us are the ones that stay with us really do speak to that struggle. I believe that thoroughly. There's this uh, line. The line separating good and evil passes not through states, not between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. Beautiful. That's uh, from the Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Wow. It's that's just a, a brilliant. Nice. Wow, how did you pull that one out of there? Oh, <laughs> that's a nice summation, of, a nice summation <laughs> of what I was just talking about. Thank you for uh, <laughs> clarifying it with a great quote. But anyway, that's one of the reasons I'm excited about talking about great books like. And I think I, I'm going to put Ender's Game up there with some of the great pieces of literature. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, 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 uh, it's wonderfully profound. I want to I want to talk just a little more before about something we we, we hit on earlier with Ender's Game. Uh-huh. Um, sort of looking at, uh, I made the assertion that perhaps Orison was uh, justifying, or he he was making the suggestion that the utilitarianism is not a sufficient moral uh, grounds for for xenocide or or for the actions of Graf. That maybe maybe what Graf did mm. was was wrong. So maybe humanity did the wrong thing while Ender was doing the right thing to the best that he could. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another. There's a couple lines towards the end where Valentine is talking to Ender, and she's explaining to Ender, trying to help him feel better about what he did because he's just tore up on the inside for, right. for destroying this this alien race, and she um, talks to him about the. She makes a point about the value of of beings' life, the valiant value of sentient life. She makes the claim that it is the connections of love between sentient beings and the the breadth of stories that could be told um, by each and every one of them that is is what makes life inherently valuable, and that's what separated them from many of the formics. So in the formics, you had a, a will within the queen bee, and then she had all of her worker bees that were more or less automatons. Mm-hmm. You know, they they had some ability to work independently of her, but they were. It was really only one story right. so to they be told. Were, so they were large in number. They were really right. one in being. Right? Exactly yeah. one in being, and and mm-hmm. when you have a large number with only one in being, there are no stories. Or, mm-hmm. or as Valentine says, there's only one story to be told. Right. And so she implies that it's just as worthwhile or better even to have more individuals who are expressing their freedoms and their will and their desire and their love for each other than it is to have one individual expressing itself. And, and that, that perhaps that was even a worthy trade. Mm. You know, it was a terrible thing, but it was perhaps a, a, a loss of something um, perhaps it, unto gaining something better, which yeah. is humanity expanding into the universe. And that was in a world right now where, you know, there's groups of people who want to call humans a cancer upon the earth. You know, that's a very, this is a very optimistic perspective, mm-hmm. you know, that mm-hmm. perhaps humans are capable of better and capable of improving what is around them right. and growing out of it and not just destruction. Yeah. And, you know, that Valentine's an optimistic character. Right, right. You know, despite her time with Peter. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a, uh, yeah, I like her. Um, I think that's important that that's, that, that, bec- that, that the placement of that is towards the end of the mm-hmm. novel as, a, right. you know, as far, instead of in the beginning note. or in the middle, you know what I mean? But that's, you know, because, 
you know, beginnings and endings of novels and movies are incredibly important, right? right. That's where we get our, you know, set up. Yeah. And so, so to have that there, I think is probably gets very, very close to, you know, what we've often referred to as authorial intent about mm-hmm. what Orson Scott Card was attempting to do with that. I, I think I, uh, you know, I think it's, I agree with that point of view. It's, it's beautifully said. I think that where it, where we naturally run up against, um, like, oh, like discomfort about that idea is that, that we are saying that that one sentient being, that one queen, mm-hmm. doesn't matter. I mean, right. I, just because it's just one. And so we're back to a, this utilitarianism. It is. But, yeah. uh, but, um, but I think that we naturally, even you know, that we, you know what I mean. There's just Hard a, to escape uh, that completely, right? Like you yeah, can't really. you can't. Yeah, it's it's a it's a there's a natural um, aversion. Thank goodness to you know like eliminating somebody completely. You right. Know I mean, it's not a natural um, thing. Killing somebody yeah. is uh, is is, uh, is something is, not right about it. Oh yeah, it's it's born into us, and it, right. and it should be, and let's hope it continues to right. yeah, <laughs> to be that way. And I think it will, but uh, universal uh, about the intentional elimination of sentience yeah, that it, is that is deeply wrong. Right, and yeah. we feel that on in, on a, in an evolutionary way. You know what I mean? That that <clears throat> we we feel that. And, so and that's where when I hear you read yeah. that quote, I, I'm nodding and nodding and nodding, but there's a little voice saying, "But it's still one. It's still a yeah. still right, a right. you know." And so I think that's really fascinating. It that, is. That that's I can't that, that I can't really there. like sort of like get right behind that and say yeah absolutely right. And I mean that's there's the, still the, the little voice. <laughs> that's that isn't that a, a um a lock ethic? I know it's a Christian ethic. You know that that inherent to being a created being and and I don't know if this applies to the formics, but you know the the idea of the the Christian idea that every individual is equal and and infinitely right. valuable because they mm-hmm. contain some slice of the divine. That's a very deep Christian ethic in our in the Western world, and that's what most of our law is founded upon. And to the fact that you want to extend that to this alien bugger race, I think is kind of interesting. You know, like because yeah, that's not right. obvious that you would do that, but but maybe it is. You know, maybe that is a good thing that we would extend that to to other sentience, mm-hmm. even if it's not necessarily human. Right. Right. What do, what do you think about Peter? Think he changes? What do you think about his him and Valentine? Mm. I don't see the, you know, when we talk about that, I don't see a great deal of change. Of uh, well, he there's about three, three or four scenes where him and Valentine are talking and interacting, right? right. And their their characters that they invent on the nets uh, are are sort of amalgamations of each of them. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and Peter, his character, who ends up actually becoming the hegemon of of the world, uh, is is actually called Locke, who is a fairly reasonable philosopher mm-hmm. you know, in our day and age. And they're, they're kind of modeling it after that guy. Right. And he, his character is supposed to be the more, the more temperate, the more reasonable one. And whereas Valentine's character is, is the more inflammatory, the more right. reactive, uh, which is interesting. And, right. That's sort of a reversal or sort of a role reversal of who right. they really are. I always looked at that as thinking of Peter's, you know, his ability to manipulate, which and, is just which incredible. Is, yeah, mm-hmm. it is, it, and I see that as a as a dark thing, and I think right. Card sees that <clears throat> as darkness. So I don't, even though there is I, the I, implication, I, like with Valentine, that she becomes like Demosthenes uh-huh. as she's embodying this character. Ah, oh, okay. And if we think that, then we would think that this the yeah. the opposite is true, right? Like or maybe, the or the same is true that Peter, that. as he becomes. 
uh, a model for Locke, rationality and, and, and you know, good, what we would call good thinking <laughs> yeah, right. um, is, is sort of rubbing off on him in some way. Yeah, um, I don't see a huge change in him. Um, and I don't see a, I don't see a huge change in, in Valentine either. Um, so I, I mean, I could be, I could be wrong or I, I, I often tend to, and this comes from my, from my teaching of the novel. So a lot of times when you're shepherding kids through a, or students through a novel, you are aware of the parts where they're going to fall down and they're going to, and you don't want to frustrate a reader and you don't want them to get pulled out of the story. It's, it's akin to when you're watching a play or watching a movie and someone starts talking or something and you're, and you're, you're taken out of that moment where your, your engagement is disrupted. So, so difficult language or super hard concepts um, can disrupt the reading. And since I typically teach this novel to ninth graders and are under the assumption that they will read many other novels in their young lives other than this one, I tend to de-emphasize those chapters of Locke and Demosthenes mm-hmm. because they tend to, they're, they're, they're a little heavy for younger readers. They're not impossible, and I don't mean to say I'm afraid of them, but I am aware of their disruptive quality. Right. Um, so... Ender's story is much more exciting. Give me, let's get back to the battle room, you yeah, know, and right. it, you know that, and I, I get that, and I, I, I need to make sure I write that. So this interesting. I'm thinking about how I'm not just reading this novel. I'm actually trying to really walk people through that and try to help them get the most that they possibly can out mm-hmm. of it. So, um, so I, I guess that's all a big uh, build up to my idea that I've I tend to sort of brush through those chapters rather quickly and just pull some really big stuff out of it. And my, my, the big thing I'm pulling out right now is that I don't see a major change. Now, Josiah, who's far more intelligent than your average ninth grader, <laughs> which I don't know, is that a compliment? Or not? Does, it sound like, does it sound like a compliment? It is. Uh, it's far more intelligent than your average person. But anyway, you are probably seeing much more within those chapters than I've looked at in a long time. So I'll throw that question back to you. Do you see growth and change in, um, because that would be the hallmark of a, a a fully round character. If we saw some growth and change, do you see that in Peter and or Valentine? I, a little bit of both. So I think when I, when I think about why does he have those characters, why does he, he put together that storyline? I think part of it is to emphasize the just how capable Ender is as an individual, and that he's an amalgamation of these two characters. Mm-hmm. So he sets them up as as a contrast to to Ender. The uh, Ender's supposed to kind of takes the best of both of them mm-hmm. and and smashes them together and becomes this the the Uberman. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not an appropriate analogy, but that's the idea. Is he's this you. really exceptional person. Yes, but Peter, uh, Peter and Valentine, I think as a function of their being the only ones they can relate to on any deep level, they, they're, they're kids living in an adult world insulated mm-hmm. from adults. And mm-hmm. as such, they have to have a really close relationship. And, and Peter doesn't, he's sociopathic. He has no empathy. He only, he's very self-serving, but he is forced to engage in the world through and with Valentine. And I think mm-hmm. um, if I'm to, to, to follow Ender's ability to understand someone and then learn to love them, I think Valentine and Peter both do similarly. Mm, I think Peter okay. gets to where he understands Valentine and loves her and can appreciate what she brings. And I think Valentine 
eventually does the same for Peter to some degree. Now they're not, neither of them as individuals are as integrated as, as Ender, but Valentine, like towards the end, she figures out a way to pull the wool over Peter's eyes and get off the planet. Like she wants to right, right. get get out of his game. Yeah. And that's a, that's an, that's a little more of a integrated thing to do. You know, she right, was right. not too worried about what Peter's, how he's going to feel about that. She's going to manipulate yeah. a little bit to make that happen. And that was good for her. Do you do see so. the same happening in Peter? Do you see the same kind of, I do see the same happening in Peter to some degree. So you, um, there's a Peterson, Jordan Peterson's always saying this, that, po- uh, r- rulership based on power is really unstable. So mm-hmm. someone who's just powerful, they, he uses the example of chimps, right? You got one, if one super powerful chimp leads the pack, he's only, the first time you've got two guys who team up who are two thirds as powerful as him, they can gang up and take him out. Right. And such is the case of, of many authoritarian leaderships. And Peter knows that. And I, don't, I think he learns how to, to maintain and, and use power in such a way that it's not purely manipulative or, or it's not based on the power itself i think he learns through valentine as because they, they describe how she knows how to get people to do what she wants them to do by thinking that it's what they want to do mm-hmm. and so i think peter learns that how to how to shape the world into what the world wants it to be but because he's so much more intelligent he actually can help the world to understand what it needs to be. And mm. so he shapes the world into what he wants by convincing the world that is what they That's want. That's what they want. Sure. And so, yeah. you know, maybe he's not, he's no Ender. He's no Valentine. He's, right. he's no, he's no, uh, kind, empathetic person, no. but in his cold, predictable self-interest, he actually can do what's best for the world because it's still what's best for him. Mm. I, Luckily, right? Luckily, I mean, it, right. It, it, if it's... Yeah, yeah. He made it through his childhood phase without killing anyone. You know? <laughs> that's the um, that's the the idea of an emergent ethic too. Is that you, in order to to play a game with iterations in a social environment, you have to you have to, it has to be iterable, which means people have to be willing to play with you. Right. And so Peter, uh, he figures out how to play his game in an in an iterable way, mm-hmm. and and because of his superior intelligence, he's able to you know twist that into into a position of yeah. incredible power right. but i think he does in the process grow out of, of the pure maliciousness of of his childhood mm-hmm. you know that mm-hmm. pure jealousy mm-hmm. and he's able to um to realize that what's in his best interest in the future is the same as what's in everyone's best interest because we can't really separate our future selves from from our neighbors like what's best for our neighbors is very often the same as what's best for ourselves Mm -hmm. far enough in the future yeah so maybe he figures that out i don't know i i like to think that there's hope that he is presented hopefully well there's also this idea that he's growing that he's the they're aging right right? i mean and then it was probably very likely helpful for him yeah just a few years older than ender Mm -hmm. um and so the um so this idea that he's actually just growing up and perhaps having to emulate an adult and, and fake out what it's like to be, and he, and he fakes out people really well. He's a right. very convincing adult <laughs> at, uh, on these, these on the nets, so on the nets, right? Um, helped him to grow and become less of a child, less of a you know that's a that's a childlike you know simplicity of trying to you know force you know enter into playing buggers versus aliens and i'm gonna just you know just the the, the mm, typical flick pain yeah right yeah he's a, he's a he's a little he's a little rough in the beginning kind of a sadistic very, character very, yeah. um and, and and i do believe he does grow out of that i'm not sure if that i mean it's it's likely that's because of 
a self-awareness or a, 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 a forcing himself to be with Valentine in a way he wasn't before. Yeah, that that yeah. or it could be a natural um, aging thing. There's a there's a very violent book and movie, um, A Clockwork Orange, where it's it's it, this guy's violent, 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 dark, 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 evil, and the cha- uh, and the, and the, and the book has 21 chapters, and in the 21st chapter, he sort of renounces all of that and sort of. Uh, just you know, it's just stupid. What was how, how dumb? And he sort of, and and uh, the author has talked about that and said, yeah, we we grow out of things, we age out of behaviors, and sometimes you know that what we think is so like permanent and, and and so defines somebody as a as a child, people do at least according to Anthony Burgess that people do change and that we do evolve right. uh, naturally, like just by you know in his case becoming an adult this magic age of 21 Hmm. now an interesting sort of side note to that is that when the stanley kubrick made his film of that novel um he does not include this 21st chapter that is one of like redemption and sort of oh really yeah he ends on chapter 20 and the and the it's an english book it's written in it's a in uh english author he's he's uh uh, not American. So, uh, but in the American version of Clockwork Orange, there is no twenty-first chapter. Huh. And so we Americans oh, want to hold on to this, like, yeah, see, he's evil through. So they and got through. reprinted in the U.S. without that last chapter. That's right. Oh, yes. Wow. So that's. Uh, it wasn't until many years later that Burgess said, "Here, let me let me reissue the book with the way I wrote it, you know, with the <laughs> with the twenty-first chapter that you Americans didn't cut get. and that Stanley Kubrick didn't decided not to use." So. That's um that's actually lots of good stuff in that one too, but yeah. Kubrick's movie has made it into a little more of a uh, a cultural phenomenon, just right. because it was so horribly violent and so <laughs> just ridiculous. Yeah, you know. At any rate, I guess we always get it. That that so I, I wanted to just come back to what you were talking about. We were talking about the uh, the possibility of change and growth, and I would agree with you that we see that in Valentine, and I would agree with you that we see it in. Peter and I had just pointed out that what I just talked about just to sort of point out that perhaps that's just a function also of of, of getting older. Yeah, <laughs> and, right. And, that could and, very well be it. And growing out, you know, a lot of time passes, a lot right. of uh, a lot of experience. Right. What do you think is the significance of the speaker for the dead? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to throw a throw a tricky question out at you because that's like you were saying the beginning and the ending are really significant. Right. Right. And the very beginning is this line of graph. And this other guy he's talking to who uh, are tackling or they're, they're talking about Ender trying to decide if, if they're going to initiate him into this really difficult chapter of his life. Mm-hmm. Where, and, and, you know, they're trying to decide, OK, is this justifiable? This poor kid. We really like him. I've been watching through his eyes, listening through right, his right. ears. And yeah. He's the one. He's the one. And Graf says, well, you know, we're trying to save we're the human race. Right. So let's do it. <laughs> we're saving the world after all. Yeah, so exactly. let's let's go with that. So we're not worried about it. But then it closes out with this really gentle chapter of of Ender becoming this character who is is presenting people in an honest light not mm-hmm. like history d- does with rosy glasses or not like even the, an anti-history does where it vilifies a character it, it just right. presents them how they are whether right. it was right. whether it was the formic the, the formics or if it was peter so that's you know, the first speaker for the dead um, publication is i think is the the formics it's, it's the okay. queen bee and then uh Peter contacts him via an ansible out on his colony and asks asks Ender to 
to uh, write a, a spoken or write a publication about his life as well and, and present mm. that. And then sort of it starts this cultural phenomenon of speakers at, at people's funerals speaking up for those who died, but presenting them in this in sort of a, in a very honest, real and honest picture. Yeah. Of, of who so they I, are. I, I, I bristled when uh, Josiah threw that question at me because I have not read the 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 sequels and stuff. Right. So, I mean, so it does, it does end with speaker for the dead and I should know that. And, but what you say is actually true, but they, um, but I didn't, I, I don't know the, the, the plot or the story of speaker for the dead. And then there's xenocide or xenophobe uh, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and children of the mind. And there's a few others. And it just yeah. keeps going. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it would be, I mean, it would be interesting for me. I'm surprised I've not read it all these years. And many of my students continue on mm-hmm. once they are assigned this one. They'll read these other yeah, ones I on their own. Yeah, I read a bunch of these afterwards. Right. So they yeah. sort of, you know, they sort of pull people in. Um, I, you know, I, I tend to get a little, uh, you know, I know that there's a, you know, trilogies and things like that and series are very popular. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just too... I don't know ADD or something, but I can't stick with a a a, a, a story that long. You know what I mean? <laughs> so even like I think the Hunger Games is a great story, yeah. and I read the Hunger Games First and I enjoyed one. the um, the uh, Catching Fire. And then you know my son's reading Mockingjay, and I'm kind of like I'm kind of done with the <laughs> kind of done with with Katniss Everdeen. You know, right. and, and I didn't right. even get to a logical conclusion, or you know, it just right. I just sort of lose interest. I do that too with shows you know where all of a sudden i'm just like one day i just said i'm not interested in them anymore you know right. so well and heck if i i figure if you're not interested in it then you there's no point to reading <laughs> or watching it because it's it's only what we're interested in that we remember or right. can engage right. with on any level and yeah. that's where the growth happens when we fight with it you know right. engage with it and i'm not advocating bailing in the middle of uh, trilogies or <laughs> or stopping shows on episode four or anything like right. that but uh that's just a personal thing but at any rate um so your question though was, what do you think? What do I yeah. think about yeah, that? Think is about, this like, uh, this idea of uh, of Ender being, you know, this speaker for the dead? Yeah. Now, you know, I look at it as we talked about this earlier about how I feel like Ender is looking for a personal redemption that he's done something um, that he's done something wrong or 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 bad, and mm-hmm. that he would like to make himself feel better. I'm really simplifying it here, but it would be better if he could sort of do something to counteract that if i like sort of counteract something bad with something good Mm -hmm. and i think we've already explored that a little bit today Mm -hmm. um but that's where i see speaker for the dead i think it's more of an obligation that he feels rather than a uh than a i'm gonna do this because it's gonna make me feel better you know i think there is true redemptive value in uh speaking something honestly like or is that just kind of a cathartic release to to get it out there well, I think speaking falsely would be far worse. I mean, right. I love the idea of truth in any of its forms. Right. So you know? obviously the antithesis is true. Like you can make things worse by speaking falsely about it. Yes, um, yes. The, the, the concept, and you've articulated it better than I really realized about like what, what, that ha- what happens where speaker for the dead, you know, mm-hmm. that just is mentioned in this novel briefly and then is the whole, is the, not only a title, but the whole premise of the second novel. Right. So... Just understanding what a speaker for the dead is and this idea that it is honest and it's sort of a warts and all kind of approach to this is how this person lived. I can really get behind that. Um, That is, 
you know, you, you typically, you know, I'm sure you've been to a funeral in your day and you don't probably have not heard negative things about the person who's, you know, Very being rarely. eulogized. Yeah, yeah. It's just not a natural thing to do. It that. is. It's almost like, wait, we don't, you know, but that's not true. Those, pre- those people that were eulogizing and that were remembering, um, you know, weren't saints, and yet, and yet we, we, yes, on some level. right, we do, we tend to do that, and I don't want, and I'm, I'll say, I'm not, I'm gonna be the first one to say that I'm not gonna be the guy at the funeral who speaks about the negative qualities of somebody. Sure. <laughs> so right. it's not no. like, you know, it's not like I'm saying, oh, you got to change that. Yeah, um, which is kind but of a strange a, thing. I mean, that's what makes that different than like a, you know, him, Peter asking him to write his eulogy is just not quite the same thing as right, to be right. a speaker for the dead. Right, and so that's uh, so that so. so so the author advocating for that, which I believe he is advocating for that, mm-hmm. this 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 pure truth, right? Mm-hmm. Is it, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, is it is a difficult one for people to grapple with? Difficult for me to grapple with. I don't even know if I want the truth spoken about me at my yeah. funeral. <laughs> Well, there's something Let's remember my good qualities, please. You right? know, don't, don't have the, the, the just sigh in the back. Uh, I just want to let you know it was, wasn't all that great. Uh, well, maybe that's. I mean, maybe that's some of the some of the hint as to whether or not Peter really changed. You mm-hmm. know, because he was willing to reach out to this brother who, in last on last contact, their last in- interactions were hateful and angry and, uh-huh. and bitter, and and he wants to reach out to him in hoping that Ender would exposed who peter was through and through and accepting of that in himself mm. so you know maybe that's evidence of peter really having been integrated you know but integrating instead of integrating the shadow integrate some of the the, the light right right <laughs> you know and then also being accepting of of where he's come from mm-hmm. but i think it's a maybe the truth of it remains to be seen but there's something profound about about an actual honest outsider's perspective mm-hmm. and in this story maybe it's suggesting that that the true hero is the one who can see things for the way they really right. are yeah. And, yeah and and write it down so that other people can see it too there you go and maybe that's well the speaker for the dead is 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 the embracing of the of the darkness right yeah. i mean that the is the exactly what that is right oh, yeah. and so and i think that you know card definitely advocates for that self well, we talked about this already of mm-hmm. this idea of self-awareness and understanding you know what i i do have peter in me i do have that i'm not right. going to deny that i'm yeah. not going to reject that and the buggers that. have humanity in them you know like yes. the, the formics have have a deep root of, of compassion right and right. they were they were you know, heartbroken over the the losses that they inflicted right, right. You know, and that was yeah. needed to be known i think it's a i you know i think that's a big takeaway for me as i you know and i get excited because these are things i can share with students you know like you know you get them to really think about this idea that we are uh, we are we are a, we are a combination of valentine and peter all of us are Mm-hmm. And, you know, we might be rising in one area. And I think that also evolves over time, too. Um, but to say that people are wholly good or wholly evil is is false. Yeah, and not, uh, and so so I can get I can I like when I, I, I said it very simply, but I said I can get behind truth in all of its forms, like any way you can tell truth I'm behind that. And I'm, I'm fine with difficult truths. Um, and, and, and sometimes uh, those are the the biggest ones where we can grow the most is when we confront difficult truths like people don't like to hear 
I remember that girl when she asked that of that professor and he told her to look in her soul and, and sort of questioned whether she, you know, and, and, and she was a little offended by it. Yeah. Um, rattled. You know, like, yeah, that, that just sort of threw her off. She's like, I'm a good person. <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't have darkness in my soul. And he just told her he, she did. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so, you know, so yeah, it's, it, it's, uh, so again, I'm, I'm all for hard truths because I think, Ultimately, we should recognize that. Mm-hmm. And again, like I said, I keep coming back to this, but that's why we are drawn to these stories because they are us. Right. Because that's us. Right. Um, you know that. You know we can go back to Homer and look at Odysseus. And you know I've always have when I've ever approached that story, uh, that epic, um, I've always said that Odysseus is us. His journey is our journey. Mm-hmm. It's a metaphoric journey, but we've all had sirens in our life. We've all had Charybdis and Scylla in our lives. We've all had, I mean, the, the, the things that he goes through are things that we go through. Absolutely. Um, and so it's, and you know, he's, as the, as the hero of that story, he, he presents a way for us to, you know, if we haven't gone through it yet, it can give us a little bit of forewarning about how to deal with the things that we will go right, through. Right. I mean, and that's Ender too. It's like, you're going to be presented with challenges that are above and beyond you right. is the right thing to do to bail on it or to leave or to say, I'm not good enough and just, just right. quit. It's like, no, like Ender says, just do your best, right. do your best and do it again and do it again and do it again. Right. So you can't do it anymore. Right. And it's messy. Yeah. And it's not always great. You it's know what I mean? It's not always going to come like, out how you want. Exactly. That's hard for people to grapple with too. Like if I do my best, I'm going to be successful. It's like, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Let's hope <laughs> so. Not. That's the best case scenario, but yeah, you right. can do your, you can do your very best. And it can and, all and go to crap. Can, right. So that's a, and that's a hard truth too for people. So again, that's the truth in all its forms. It's, right, <laughs> it's, right. That's life. It's yeah, complicated. That is. And I think that when we accept that, uh, and then, and I also think that that makes us less judgmental of others, uh, that we, if, if we understand that, yeah. that there, that there's, most you know, people are trying. Right. And that, that, that perhaps this person is really trying to do, you know, what they believe to be right. And, you know, and, and this sounds almost cliche now, but there are really, truly, in my opinion, far more things that unite us than there are that divide us. We focus, especially nowadays, on the things that divide us uh, as we talk about political parties and things like that. Right. But if those two people were stuck together on a desert island, they would realize, oh, my gosh, you're very much like me <laughs> in a lot right. of ways. Well, <laughs> you know, it's uh, hilarious, too, how in this book, the, the, the day after the Formics get defeated, there's immediately war breaking out on Earth. And if it weren't for what <laughs> Peter right. and Valentine were doing to, like, you know, manipulate their way into power, the world would have just fallen that's apart. Right, I forgot about that. That's a big, that's a big omission on my part right. to forget that that actuality. But that's true. Yeah, um, I mean, the only reason that <laughs> Earth was united was because there was this great existential threat to them, and right. immediately all of these battle warrior kids who were under Ender's command, they all went home to their own individual nations and became leaders of armies and command, right. like, yes. and immediately were used as tools against each other. And it's like, oh. oh. So sad. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but again, very true, right? right? I mean, that's that's the way there. things play out. That is the way things often play, play out. The truth in fiction. So as we're wrapping this thing up, if you could, I know you, you had a pretty good summary takeaway there, but if there's anything that you feel like uh, we can offer to our listeners as really practical ways to apply some of the, the ethical lessons out of this novel, um, is there anything that stands out to you particularly? Well, I mean, not, not nothing that we haven't really said before, mm-hmm. which uh, I think that, you know, the, the models that we have from these characters, from Ender mainly, 
this issue of self-awareness, mm-hmm. this issue of um, uh, so self-awareness and self-knowledge, but also an incredible amount of empathy and understanding. Um, those are things that are going to be ethically right uh, no matter what. I think if we go back to Aristotelian uh, ethics, the you know this idea of prudence, temperance, courage, and justice. Right. I think he exemplifies all of those things, mm-hmm. and I think those are 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 great aspirations for all of us. Yeah, if we aspire to means. do the right thing, to be, you know, and, and and temperance is a big one too. We haven't talked about that too much, but right. this idea of, um, you know, there's so many. So many, such potential for humans to go wrong by giving into excesses, you know, right. excesses of, you know, uh, you know, lifestyle choices, you know what I mean? Like food or drink or, or, you know, you can go wrong you know. in the extremes. Right. So temperance is a very underrated uh, totally. virtue. Um, but we have Ender exhibit that as well. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And everything. everything uh, and everything. All the way through. And, and, and the prudence, prudence just means making the right decision at the right time in the right circumstance. And he treats, oh yeah, and he treats his different soldiers like, I understand this person, so I'm going to do this here. Um, and then in this issue of courage, uh, it's great. The things that are the opposite of that are, you know, cowardice and, and recklessness. And, and and those are things that are admonished in, 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 in the novel in a variety of ways. So oh. so I think, you know, might, like I said, it might sound too simple, but just say, hey, do the right thing. Try to be the, do the right the, thing in the moment as best you can. As best you can. Yeah. And and I think that would if, if everybody, you know, decided that was the way that they were going to try to live. I mean, I think we'd see profound change yeah. in our world. Yeah. So that's that's probably my takeaway. It's a good takeaway. I mean, heck, you can't go wrong following that advice. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Do you have a what's your biggest takeaway from uh, you know the 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 novel? You know, I I think in terms of like real practical insights that uh-huh. that Orson brings up, um, I love the way he demonstrates the struggle of a person trying to integrate their shadow yeah, and, and the value of that. So uh, I go back and forth between these two. The other one would be the anti-fragility, like mm-hmm. knowing that it is the difficulties in my life and that are subjected to me, whether I am at my will or not, it is my willingness to tackle difficulties head on that will actually grow me to being fulfilling my potential. And the world needs us to, to, to live up to our potential. Like the world is, difficult and complicated enough such that we need individuals to rise to the best they can be in order to to to, for the world to to move on like to to grow and progress and so it is only through being submitted to challenge that that happens and so not the the advice there is i don't want to hide from uncomfort from discomfort i don't want to hide from challenge Um, i don't want to build a life of wealth so that I can insulate my kids from discomfort. Like mm-hmm. none of that is worthwhile. That's, right. that's only going to hurt me in the long run, hurt the world in the long run. And then, and then there's that idea of if I want to be a person of influence or power, or if I want to be a person who is effective in anything, um, it, it is essential that I have both Valentine and Peter and I'm okay with both. I go. can love myself while I exemplify both sides of that. Um, and, and to, struggle and be okay with the inner turmoil sure. that it takes to right. to harbor those opposing forces within mm-hmm. myself yeah come to peace with that yep yeah uh, those are wonderful takeaways and those are definitely truths in fiction yep <laughs> well it's good talking with you steve looking forward to meeting up again here soon i Absolutely. think our 
Our next um, work of fiction we're going to tackle is The Pirates of the Caribbean. All right. The first one. Great movie. There's a lot of fun stuff in that. Uh, hit something a little lighter. I'm excited. Sounds great. Look forward to it. Catch you next week. Bye-bye.